Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in John chapter 8. I'm going to cover verses 44 through 59 to the end of the chapter. Our context is we're at Jesus' last Feast of the Tabernacles. He's getting ready to start his last Judean ministry as he prepares to be crucified and risen again. In our previous chapters, John 7 and 8, we have seen Jesus talking about rivers of living water when he stood up and cried out at the water-pouring festival at the Feast of Tabernacles on the last day. We've seen him deal with a woman caught in adultery when he told her to sin and go no more. We saw him probably the next day after the feast, or maybe on the last day of the feast, say, I am the light of the world. And then, after all these remarkable messianic statements, he gets into a tangle with the Pharisees. In our last audio, John 8, 21 through 43, Jesus discusses the question with the Pharisees, who are the true descendants of Abraham, the Jewish leaders or Jesus? And in this audio, we're going to continue that fight where the Jews and Jesus start accusing each other of being of the devil. Now, we know who's going to win that argument, don't we? We'll st- we have no parallel passages in the Synoptic Gospels, so we'll start with John 8, 44 through 59. Starting with, we'll start at John 8, verse 44. You are of your father the devil, this is Jesus talking, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. Well, now Jesus has already implicitly called the Jews the children of their father the devil. He did this in verses 37 and 39. He did it implicitly. I will go back and read verse 37 for you. Jesus said, I speak what I have seen in your presence. This is 38, verse 38, John 8. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. Therefore, you do what you have heard from your Father. Of course, Jesus is contrasting his Father, Yahweh, with the Pharisees' Father, the devil. We look in verse 39. In verse 39, Jesus says, or actually the Pharisees say, Our Father is Abraham, they replied. And Jesus responds to that, If you were Abraham's children, which of course you're not, you would do what Abraham did. So, He's, by saying they're not Abraham's children, he's implying that they have a different father from Abraham. Of course, that's hard for Jews to take. But now he's going to be really explicit about it. In verse 44, he's going to say, you are of your father the devil. That's pretty serious. Now, what he's implying is, well, he doesn't imply it. He says it. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. And you want to carry out your father the devil's desires. In other words, The devil likes to murder, and you like to murder, and you're getting ready to murder me. So basically, Jesus says two things about the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and he's a murderer, a liar and a murderer. These two things he focuses on as he condemns the Pharisees. John 8, 37, he said, I know you are descendants of Abraham, meaning physical descendants, not spiritual. I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. So see there, he directly said in seven verses previous to this that the Pharisees were trying to kill him. He wasn't hinting around about it. And, of course, they eventually succeeded in killing him. Jesus said to them in John 8:28, When you lift up the Son of Man, that means lift him up to be crucified, then you will know that I am he. So Jesus knew they were trying to kill him, and he told them they were trying to kill him. He didn't, he didn't mince any words. Things are getting to be very much in the open now here at the end of his ministry. 
Now, when Jesus said that their father is a liar, their father the devil is a liar and the father of lies, and there's no truth in him, and when he tells a lie, he speaks a lie from his own nature, this, of course, is contrasted with the nature of Jesus. John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's referring to himself. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, you want to go out and lie? You want to continue to lie? People do that, you know. They lie all the time. Well, they're behaving just like their father, the devil. And if Christians, whose father is not the devil, but God the Father, and there's nothing but true, and, and Jesus partakes of the nature of God the Father, and Jesus is the truth, why would you want to lie? Would you not rather do what your nature says you should do, which is to tell the truth? Swear to your own hurt, I think, as the Proverbs puts it. Now, the scripture here says that the devil was a liar from the beginning. The beginning of what? Here's some options. The beginning of creation. John Gill says this. Jameson Fawcett and Brown say this. Grotius, the famous international lawyer, Protestant guy, says this. And John Calvin says this. You're a liar from the time when creation got started. And Barnes and Ellicott, those commentators say that this refers to the how the devil murdered Adam and Eve by tempting them to sin. They were never going to die, and then they ended up dying. So the devil, in effect, murdered them. A lot of commentators say that. Some people get more specific than that and say that this Jesus is referring to when the devil murdered Cain, when the devil inspired Abel to, excuse me, when the devil inspired Cain to murder Abel. Jameson Fawcett and Brown denies that. I even thought it might be the time at which Satan first fell from heaven when he rebelled against God. He's been a murderer ever since, since then, at least a murderer in his mind. doesn't really matter. He means he's been a murderer for a long, long time. We go to John 8, verses 45 and 46 and 47. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you won't li why you don't listen because you are not from God. So Jesus is continuing his theme of truth and he's saying I am the truth and I'm telling you the truth and you don't believe me why don't you believe me because the truth's not in you you're of your father the devil the devil speaks lies the devil won't have anything to do with truth you won't have anything to do with truth and that's why you don't believe me not because I'm not the messiah uh, not because my message is defective anyway it's your fault guys who among you can convict me of sin, Jesus asked the Pharisees. He's on trial here, basically, in a public trial in front of the crowds. Who of you can convict me of sin? And the specific sin that they might try to convict him of is lying, but he never lied. What have they tried to convict him of before? They tried to accuse him of being a wine-bibber and a glutton, a sinner, a blasphemer. They accused him of sedition. And they accused him of being in league with the devil. This is mostly courtesy of John Gill. That we, I don't have the verses in front of him, but you know the stories of how the Pharisees were constantly accusing Jesus, and he always won when he got into a public confrontation with them. They couldn't legally prove anything against Jesus. And Jesus knew it, and he called them out on it, saying, Hey, you want to convict me? Convict me. Give me the evidence. You can't do it. Jesus had a perfectly clear conscience, as the NIV study Bible said. Let me read you Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's comment on this. Quote, In one who had already passed through unparalleled complications, talking about Jesus, and had continually to deal with friends and foes of every sort and degree, such a challenge 
thrown wide among his bitterest enemies can amount to nothing short of a claim to absolute sinlessness. When Jesus says, who of you convicts me of sin? I ain't got any sin because Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. Jesus said in verse 47, this is why you don't listen because you're not from God. This is talking about spiritually. Listen, listen to what Jesus says about that topic in John 10 verses 3 through 4. The doorkeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to hear him. If you don't belong to Jesus, you're not going to hear what he's saying. It's as simple as that. He, Jesus, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. The Pharisees, since they hated Jesus, they hated God the Father, they didn't recognize Jesus' voice. 1 John 4, 6, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Talking about the apostles. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us, does not listen to the apostles. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. These apostles were pretty pretty adamant, pretty straightforward about their ability to speak the word of God. And they said that if you know Jesus, you're going to know the words of his apostles too. Listening to the voice of God, folks, is not having an intellectually superior mind. It, it, it refers to having a humble heart and belonging to Jesus, giving yourself to Jesus so you can hear his voice, so he can guide you through this world of woe, through the vicissitudes of life, this veil of tears. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that, that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Well, now this phrase, this claim that the Pharisees were right in earlier saying that Jesus was a Samaritan is a little bit unclear because it's not written down anywhere where the Jews ever called him a Samaritan. So here's some options. They were perhaps suggesting that Jesus was lax in Jewish practices and keeping the traditions of men and, the rab and of the rabbis. John Gill suggests this. The NIV Study Bible says this is probably what it is. You're a Samaritan because you're loose with the law. And, of course, I need to point out, Jesus was never loose with the Mosaic Law. He was loose with the traditions of the Pharisees. He broke those all the time. But he didn't break Moses' law. That every jot and tittle was kept until all was accomplished, until sin was taken away, when all was accomplished on the cross, and the new covenant was established, and then we don't do the new old Mosaic Law anymore. But until then, Jesus kept it perfectly, but he did break the traditions of men. So, that might be why they accused Jesus of being a Samaritan, Maybe it was to suggest that his father was a Samaritan. This mysterious Jesus whose father isn't around anymore. Joseph had already died by then. And the rumors going around that he's born of a virgin. He must have been. And that, and that Mary was pregnant when she was a spouse to Joseph. And maybe, maybe she wasn't a spouse to Joseph. I mean, excuse me, maybe she wasn't impregnated by Joseph. Maybe, she had, maybe Jesus had a Samaritan father. Uh, I don't know. John Gill says it's because Jesus had just spoken favorably to the Samaritan woman. That was in John chapter 4. He had preached in Samaritan villages around there. The word had gotten out. The Pharisees heard it. They say, oh, you're a Samaritan. You're up there preaching to those nasty Samaritans. Fourth option as to what they were referring to. John Gill says this. Well, perhaps the term Samaritan was just a general term of opprobrium. They didn't think he was actually a Samaritan, but they just called him one. Well... So I don't know what that is. I don't think it's really important. That's why I'm not going to take a stand on that one. Now, the 
Jews then asked Jesus, are we right? And also saying that you have a demon. Now, they did record, it is recorded that Jesus, that uh, they had accused Jesus of having a demon. Let me read you the places. We'll start with John chapter 7, verse 20. You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who wants to kill you? This is when Jesus mentioned that the Pharisees wanted to kill him. Kill him. Oh, who wants to kill you? The Jerusalem crowd apparently weren't really suspicious of the motives of their sainted leaders that they would actually try to kill somebody, kill a rabbi. Jameson Fawcett Brown says this is the incident the Jews were referring to since it just happened in the previous chapter, right around that same time period, and he could very well be right. John 8, verse 52, Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. This is in the same passage in a few verses. We'll, we'll get to that verse in just a minute. But they, they again accused him of having a demon. They doubled down on the accusation. And in John chapter 10, verse 20, we, we read this. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Son of God having a demon. Talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is, of course, accusing Jesus, God, of, being, of doing the work of the devil. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven, as Jesus said. All right, so let's see how Jesus answers this charge of being a Samaritan and demon-possessed. First of all, he doesn't even answer the charge of being a Samaritan because the charge was totally stupid. It was absurd. It was impossible. As John Gill and Adam Clark point out, it was notorious to all the Jews that Jesus wasn't a Samaritan. I mean, there's witnesses. You know, He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He was working now out of Capernaum doing his ministry. He'd come down to Jerusalem a couple times during that ministry. Everybody knew that he was a Jew, so that was stupid. I think the Jews are getting hysterical now. They're getting really worried, and they're just starting to throw out charges to see what will stick. Now, Jesus said, let me paraphrase this a little bit. On the contrary to me having a demon, I honor my father, and you dishonor me. You dishonor me because you're saying I I'm I'm have a demon, and you are dishonoring my father, Yahweh as you try to accuse me of belonging to who your father really is. And then he says in verse 30, I do not seek my glory. Now, by saying, by complaining about you accusing me of having a demon, I'm not trying to make myself a big shot by doing that. I'm not trying to get glory just by saying I'm not demon-possessed. I am trying to give glory to my father, the one who seeks it, the father who seeks glory. He's the one that I'm trying to uh, give glory to. Because he seeks glory. He demands glory because he's God the Father. And that same God the Father who seeks glory, he also judges. <clears throat> judges people who say that his son is possessed of the devil. Jesus never let them forget that they were under judgment. He was trying to get them to con convert, of course, I'm convinced. But in order to do that, he had to convince them that they were sinners. And he put, tried to put some fear of God in them. Now, it didn't work. They didn't repent. But I'm telling you, when people don't have the fear of God, they don't repent. Look at situation in America today. People have no fear of dying. They have no fear of being of having to pay for their sins. They think they can do whatever the heck they want to, and there's no consequences for it. At least not eternal consequences. They, oh, I've been a good boy. I'll make it to heaven. No, you won't. Not without believing in Jesus. And then Jesus says, I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, that means his general teaching. And it means keeping it by believing in it. It doesn't mean you keep it down to every lot of little jot and tittle because then we would have to be perfect and no one is perfect. Then no one would ever get saved and no one would ever have eternal life. So he says, I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, ever. 
Whoa, Jesus is making an incredible claim here. Obviously, he's making a messianic claim. And as we see here, as we get now to the end where the Jews pick up stones and try to kill him, he's making more and more and more stronger and stronger and stronger, more and more and more open claims of his messiahship. Now, when he says this person will never see death ever, he's talking about eternal life, of course, not physical life. Eternal life means never being separated from God. Eternal death or spiritual death means eternal separation from God. And Jesus is saying you'll never be separated from God if you'll keep his word. Now, of course, the Pharisees are going to take this physically, as we'll see in the next verse. They, they're, no one, they're not going to take him spiritually to understand he's talking about spiritual death here. Now, when Jesus said that the one who seeks glory, the Father, he also judges. He's referring to a judgment that's coming on the disbelieving Jews, which was probably the destruction of Jerusalem in 87. He said, I'm going to wipe you guys out. He could, And, of course, it could refer to eternal judgment when you're judged by being sent to hell, or it could be both. I don't know. But at any rate, we know that Jesus does judge. Now, when Jesus said, I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, that is reminiscent of a verse 20 verses earlier in John 8, John 8. 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Now that emphasizes the fact that if you love Jesus, you're going to keep his word. If you want to be his disciples, you've got to obey him. That's that word obey. That's just something that seems to me that a lot of Americans don't like to hear. Obey. So, and let's make one more comment about this verse phrase in verse 50. I do not seek my glory. The one who seeks it also judges. The one who seeks it, the Father is seeking the glory of his Son. He's seeking glory, and he's seeking it through Jesus. So therefore, if you're not giving glory to the Son, you're not giving glory to the Father. But if you do give glory to Jesus, you're giving glory to the Father. Let's move on now to verses 52 and 53 in John chapter 8. Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Even the prophets died. Who do you pretend to be? Now, here's an ironic question in verse 53. The Jewish leaders asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? Uh, yes, he was. They were assuming, they were asking rhetorical a question, expecting, no, of course you're not greater than Abraham. But actually, Jesus could literally answer, yes, I am greater than Abraham, as the NIV Study Bible points out. Now, notice when they start talking about Abraham died, and so did the prophets. But you're going around saying that you will never die, but Abraham died, and you're promising other people not to die. You see what they're doing here. They're talking about Abraham died physically. Abraham didn't die spiritually. He's in the bosom of the Father. He's with God forever. But he did die physically, and so the Pharisees are trying to take Jesus' word and deal with them on the level of the carnal, of the physical, of the natural, the typical procedure for unbelieving people the samaritan woman thought the water jesus was talking about was h2o and not living water the disciples thought that when jesus referred to the leaven of the pharisees he was talking about bread that's made out of wheat and when when nicodemus was talking about being when jesus said you need to be born again nicodemus says well, you mean i got to go back into my mother's womb he was thinking about physical birth and jesus is trying to use physical examples to refer to spiritual realities and the people just don't get it and and these people certainly didn't get it 
Now you notice they appealed to Abraham. The Jews really loved their fathers, their ancestors. They were big on that. You remember, she's not really Jewish, but she's Samaritan. I guess you could say half Jewish. The Samaritan woman in John 4.12, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? <laughs> she asked that question of Jesus. The Jews, the Jewish leader says, you're not greater than Abraham, are you? Well, yes, he was. And then the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Oh, uh, uh, well, yes, he was. They loved to appeal to the to their ancestors. But Jesus was bigger than their ancestors. We go now to John 8, verse 54. If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, you say about him, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. And again, Jesus is trying to point out he's not trying to, to glorify himself on a human level or even on a, God, a divine level. He is seeking the glory of the Father. So when he makes all these incredible messianic claims, I'm the light of the world, you'll, rivers of living water will flow through you, he's not trying to be a Messiah that tries to run out into the desert and say, follow me, we'll beat the Romans. He's not trying to get glory for himself. He says, my glory is nothing. He's trying to glorify his Father. And, and you Jews keep saying about the Father that he is our God. Well, no, he's not. He is the one who glorifies me. In other words, God the Father is glorifying me, Jesus, but he's not glorifying you. Because why? Remember how we started this little passage? But why? Because your father is not Yahweh. Your father is the devil. But I got somebody glorifying me. He's a witness to me, as Jesus said in previous passages. And now he's glorifying me. Here's some options as how the Father glorified the Son. John Gill mentions the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John Gill mentions the voice from heaven at his transfiguration, which if I remember correctly was the same thing. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Or John Gill says it could just be the miracles that Jesus, that God performed through Jesus. That's how, that's how God glorified Jesus. Or it could be later by raising him from the dead is how God will glorify Jesus. Or it could be by the Father spreading Jesus' gospel all over the world. That will glorify Jesus. So you see there's a mutual glorification going on here. We got, now we, in, in verse 54, God the Father glorifies God the Son. He, God the Father, is the one who glorifies me, Jesus. So God the Father glorifies God the Son. And he, he's saying, I'm not glorifying myself. God my Father is glorifying me. Now God the Son also glorifies the Father. He said, Jesus says in verse 49, On the contrary, I honor my Father, which means to basically glorify a Father. So it goes both ways. God the Father glorifies God the Son, and God the Son glorifies God the Father. Now when Jesus says that his Father glorifies him, he is implying that he doesn't need glory from these Pharisees. He says, I don't care what you say about me. Call and say, I got a demon. I don't care. I got all the glory I need from my father. I don't need it from people like you. John 8, verse 55. You've never known him, Jesus continues. You've never known him, the father, but I know him, the father. If I were to say I don't know him, the father, I would be a liar like you. But I don't know him, the father. I keep his word. Jesus obeyed the father. We should obey the father, too. And we should obey the son, you love Jesus, you'll keep his commandments, as, as Jesus says later on in John. So Jesus points out, he's already pointed out that they're murderers, they're seeking to murder him. Now he's pointing out to him they're liar, uh, that they are liars. Remember the two salient characteristics of their father, the devil, that Jesus points out in this passage is the devil was 
a liar and a murderer. John 8:44. We've already read this. I'll read it again. You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. So he's a murderer, and he doesn't stand in the truth. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. So murdering and lying is put together in the devil's character in that one verse, John 8, 44. And Jesus just throws another gratuitous slap at him. Hey, I, you know, I'd be a liar. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't know God the Father, just like you guys. Jesus constantly identifies himself with the Father. He never separates his mission from that of the Father. And, of course, this is basically claiming to be his divinity. And the Jews knew it. John 8, verses 56 through 58. Jesus continued, Your father Abraham, and again he's talking about your physical father Abraham. Abraham was not their spiritual father. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. Now what does Jesus mean by that? When they say what Abraham would see Jesus' day, Jesus just meant his ministry, his day of ministry. Ministry. 